Hello and welcome to Dealcast. It's the weekly M&A podcast which is presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. This is the second in a series of special episodes called M&A Tales, where you'll hear about the human side of M&A. These episodes are presented by Rupert Koch, who's a senior editor and head of Iberian coverage for Merger Market. In this episode, Rupert discusses the lessons and difficulties with connecting corporates to startups. The special guest speaker is Alberto Onetti, chairman of Mind the Bridge, which is a global open innovation platform providing services and products to corporates and to local startup ecosystems. Thank you, Juliana. I'm joined here today with Alberto Onetti, the chairman of Mind the Bridge, an innovation advisory firm. Alberto, you've told me in the past that the corporate world and the startup world are very different and you see them as having different languages almost. Would you would you like to explain to the listeners a little bit about how you see the difference between these two worlds? Yeah, I think is this is definitely a good point. And um, again, there are corporates, startups are corporates, as well as established corporates. The problem is that established corporate has a long history. And most of the time, uh, the fact that having a long history gives them uh, the presumption that they have also a long future ahead of them. While uh, startups have no history, have a very, very limited history, and everything is still ahead of them. So everything is still uh, say under construction. Or again, there is something that's been constructed and built on, but still a lot has to be built. And so that's uh, probably explain the main difference between these two worlds. There's a difference of perspective. Then there are also a lot of technical things that might make them work differently. The fact that most of the startups are venture-backed, meaning they have investors that typically put money that is supposed to be returned in a time frame that is ranging from five to eight years, probably give them a sense of pressure. The fact they're probably addressing new markets that are evolving continuously, probably give them an extra pressure to move fast. While established corporates on the other hand, uh, probably do not have these, uh, these external pressures, also have um, so the, the way they are evaluated by the market is mostly focused on today, on the, the quarterly results, the monthly results, rather than on what they are planning up for the future. So that's probably, again, my, my take of why these two worlds are so different. And I guess there's also an issue of failure, that anyone who joins a startup knows that there's a fairly good risk that the project might not gain traction, it might fail, it might it might run into financing difficulties. And companies do, of course, go bankrupt in the, in the corporate world, the mainstream corporate world as well, but it's probably less of a everyday threat. So do you feel like the, the different approaches to, to the possible failure of the project uh, color the cultures? Totally, yes. I think that if you're doing something that is uh, really innovating, really new, the most typical outcome is failing, is not uh, being successful. And so this is the, probably the mindset of startups. So they are doing something that is challenging by definition, 
and most of the time they know that it, this might not work. In the large uh, corporate settings, uh, failure is perceived uh, as uh, something that cannot even be mentioned. Again, failing is not an option for large corporations. That determines uh, an attitude uh, of doing things that work, that have to work, and uh, any possible uh, not perfectly functioning is not even contemplated. So this is the typical mainframe, uh, mainstream culture of large corporation. That's also structural, a lot of additional things like compliance, uh, legal, again, there is a lot of function that are designed to, to make everything works perfectly and on time without any possible disruption. And so that's framework probably also determine a culture where omission bias uh, is probably one of the typical traits. Okay, that's very interesting, Alberto. I know that you have described yourself as being uh, bilingual in that you can speak to both corporates and you can speak to, to corporates. Would you explain to the listeners how that uh, how that works in practice? And I, I might jump in and give give an example here from my own perspective as a as a financial journalist. I've sometimes had the experience of having a meeting with a startup followed by a meeting with a corporate lawyer, and it's very difficult to know how to dress. <laughs> I'll go and see the founder of the startup who's wearing jeans and a t-shirt, and then I'll go and see the corporate lawyer who's wearing a full suit with a tie. And it's very difficult to dress in a way that makes both people feel comfortable. How, how do you feel that being bilingual across both worlds works in practice? Again, uh, being bilingual is the fact that uh, I have uh, done startups. I started companies. I failed. I got an exit. I got funded, uh, and I and I wore the shoes of startups in multiple circumstances and give you the sense of how difficult is moving in such an environment. On the other hand, as Mind the Bridge, we're working with large Fortune 500 companies. Again, or you are totally uh, disconnected from your customers and it is not an option or you start learning how they think, how they work. And so I also used to, to understand all the political uh, constraints, all the, the organizational constraints that large corporations have to live with. And at the end, I would love to have my, my startup hat on my head 100% uh, of the time. But at the end, if you want that something happens in the corporate environment, you need also to, to understand how to make it work and to make it uh, uh, digestible for, for the corporate settings. And that is why you need to, to be fluent in a corporate uh, in order to make some open innovation. That it means startup corporate collaboration actually works. If not, you are just evangelizing people and nobody will listen, nobody will move a needle. And that is not exactly my goal. Okay, thank you. I think from someone who's coming at it from a corporate perspective, what are the advantages of working with startups? But again, the, the reality is that no corporate today, whatever the size, the industry, the country, is able to innovate alone. That was the past, last century approach, by the way. The last century's large multinational corporation have been designed to do everything in-house. 
there was the master of integration. And so there was integrating everything, including innovation. They have gigantic R&D department that was planning the future or delivering the, the present. That was how the uh, corporate uh, has been designed based on all the, uh, let's say also the, 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 the business literature has been uh, showed us. I'm thinking about Chandler, I think about Porter. Again, we've been learning how to build a large corporation that has becoming a player that are able to do everything in-house because integration was the way of integrating margins. Today, this is simply impossible for, for central reason for the world is the volatility of the markets. Markets are moving so fast. So we're moving from recession to, to market booming, to recession, to market booming. Sometimes we have cycles that are probably shorter than a year. And this is first condition because the world is global and cannot be planned and governed as it was supposed to be. Secondly, is technology innovation. Technology innovation today are no longer vertical application to industries, but now are transversal platform that are uh, crossing multiple uh, technology trends and multiple technology verticals. And so this, this platform are so large that nobody can own them and nobody can dominate uh, internally. That's why you need to cooperate with multiple players in order to do something new. And startups are innovation vessels, are designed to build up specific piece of knowledge. And this corporate that are smart enough to be to learn how to integrate them, how to work with them, how to collaborate with them, can definitely integrate this piece of knowledge and try to innovate themselves rather than dying. That is actually the the typical outcome of any large corporation that is just not realizing that disruption is behind the corner. And there are several ways that corporates can get involved with startups. Uh, the most interesting for people like myself who are interested in M&A is buying startups, but they can also invest in startups through the corporate venture model. And they can also work with startups as, uh, as venture clients. Would you like to tell us about these three models and how they, how they work together? Sure. Because again, the reality is when we are talking about innovation, but innovation has multiple horizons. Uh, technically, we divide between horizon one, that is innovating at the core of what you're doing. And typically, the, 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 the period of application is something might be ranging between today and two, three, four years from now. And then there are horizon two and horizon three, that is innovating beyond the core, entering at the asset markets. So using innovation to diversifying or using innovation to launching new business or to replacing the existing businesses. This is horizon three. And so you have to play on these different horizons. Unfortunately, there is not one size fits all approach that might work. You need to have different tools. And uh, the first tools that uh, particularly is fitting for serving the horizon one is called venture client, where the corporates become the client of the startups. So we enter in a partnership agreement, in a commercial agreement with the startup. You co-develop innovations that can be integrated in your own solution. And that helps you to innovate the core as becoming definitely more innovative in what you're currently doing. And that does not require any investments, no equity involved, 
nothing else. Then most of the time, if you are working with starters that are particularly fitting, a particularly strategic, you might decide to, to pull the MA trigger and, and then you buy them. Or if they are not simply, there are some good vendors to work with, innovative vendors, mm, that is, you just keep them as commercial partner. Uh, the difference here is not just uh, a regular procurement because corporates are used to work with vendors, but the problem that this kind of vendors are so innovative are not in the typical vendor list of a large corporation. And that's why we don't talk about procurement, but we talk rather about scouting. So going out for finding solution. When you find a solution, you identify a potential application and then you start the procurement process that becomes a bit more traditional. For innovating beyond Horizon 1, that is Horizon 2 and Horizon 3, you need, you need different tools. First of all, you need to educate themselves in terms of what are the next trends. And so typically, multiple uh, corporations are opening what we call innovation antennas, innovation outposts in the main ecosystem, namely Silicon Valley, Israel, uh, South Korea, the Middle East, uh, where there is a huge concentration of startups in order to get exposed to the most recent trends, not just technological, but also business models. They're trying to understand what, it, what could be some potential direction to look at while planning the company of 2030 or 2035, the 2030 version of yourself, or the 2025 version of yourself. This is the first tool. So we host in our innovation center in San Francisco, Tel Aviv, many of these multinational corporates that have exactly the goal of looking what is happening outside and at the same time also to implement the venture client that we described before. And then there is other tools. Another tool is to invest into startup to have what is called a corporate venture capital, a CVC fund. So having a some money to be invested into startups that might be interesting for future development of the company. Not something that might be applicable today or, or tomorrow, or maybe the day after tomorrow. And so being an investor means that you can be not on the driving seat, or you'll be probably in the back seat, but you can look at what is happening. And from inside, you can also start thinking what could be the future direction that you might be taking. So this is another tool. Another possible way is called venture building, meaning uh, trying to identify some strategic areas to have a corporate play and start designing a new business, but using a startup lean approach. This is called corporate venture builder. It's, today is a super hot topic. Many, many corporates are launching attempt of venture building. Reality is that jury is still out because it's very, very difficult to, to start innovating with a different, non-traditional R&D perspective from inside the company. So we will see how, which will be the model that might be working. We have a clear idea which model are not working. Some topics that are related to it, you probably have heard about that, is called dual innovation, trying to have a dual engines of innovation inside the company. So. It's a big topic. We are still exploring with many partners, which is the best formula to make it work. We have a lot of examples of attempt where it does not work, but anything that is new is supposed to, to fail. Okay, that's uh, that's fascinating stuff, Alberto. I'm sure many of the listeners will 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 find it uh, useful. One final question. Uh, let's do a quick fire question to finish things off. For advisors. Uh, 
whether that's corporate lawyers or investment bankers, they find it quite hard to work with startups or scale-ups because they're interested in people once they start hitting an institutional round, once, once they start doing deals. And they're not tremendously interested in absorbing the high risk of failure that we mentioned at the beginning with early stage, uh, with early stage investors. So my question is, how can people engage with the startup, with the, with the startups? Because maybe by the time they've entered the institutional phase, it's too late. They've already, they've already developed the relationships. What's the best way for the advisory community to engage with startups? So that is a damn good question. Uh, again, if I have a short answer, is no pain again, meaning that uh, you cannot uh, start riding an horse when he's uh, a winner. You'd probably not to to start uh, walking with him in the early days. The problem is that most of them have not the the ability to understand what are the good bets compared to the other ones. And also, assuming that you are able to understand that most of them are simply best that won't work out. So you are risking to lose your time with uh, su- by, while supporting uh, companies at the end does not pay you off because then you are betting on something that at the end maybe won't make it. And uh, But that's the way, it's the way of venture capital do, meaning venture capital invest in 10, 15 companies knowing that the winners will be one or two. And they're the one that will pay all the efforts. Again, if you are a lawyer, if you're an advisor and you want to play this game, you need to play by the rules. And the rules is taking your part of the risk and try to to be good, to identify a few of them who might pay you off. By the way, this might be also a good way of learning how this world works and not trying to apply very, very old-fashioned tools, schemes, uh, models, terms uh, to 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 company that typically do not use them this is another important learning learn how this world war before trying to to divert in towards the more traditional way and by the way most of these traditional players despite super well respected force are not particular credibility in this world because from the startup perspective are not perceived as knowledge board partners but mostly as people that are just representing the old world that they are by design here to disrupt. Not sure they will make it, but that's that's what it is. Great food, food for thought there, Alberto. Many thanks. And I think to sum up, I think people from the, the, from the corporate world and from the advisory world who want to engage with startups need to think long and hard about their attitude to failure in order to, uh, in order to engage with this world. Uh, you need to take the downside to, uh, to get the upside. Thank you, Alberto. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for listening. That was Rupert Koch, Senior Editor and Head of Iberian Coverage for Merger Market, speaking to Alberto Onetti, Chairman of Mind the Bridge. Thanks for listening to Dealcast presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, have a look at our show notes. Join us again next week.